uh, at Living Spring, we have a little tradition that we do every Easter. And um, all over the world, uh, there are churches that are meeting, even right now, where I will, the pastor or someone will get up and say, he is risen. And then you say, don't get ahead of me, please. I'm trying to get, yeah. So, so we say, he is risen. And then you say, he is risen indeed. So can you handle that? Okay, you got it. Okay. He is risen. He is risen Oh, that was almost as good as first service. Uh, but uh, yeah, that was good. Okay, so. But then, here's the thing. We don't typically use the word indeed very much, okay? So if I come home and I've gotten a raise, and I tell my wife I got a raise, she doesn't say, you've gotten a raise indeed. You know, we don't talk like that, okay? That's like from planet Earth, I guess. That's what that the announcer is. Um, so what I'm going to say is he has risen, and then you're going to say, dude, that's awesome, because that's what Lisa would say if I came home with a raise, okay? So I say he has risen, you say, dude, that's awesome, and if you're watching on Facebook, you can play along at home, and your house will think you're nuts. Okay, ready? So, he is risen. <laughs> I'm still going to make a game show called Dude, That's Awesome, because that just sounds fantastic. All right. Well, listen, happy Easter. We're glad you're here. We're glad that you got up and you got dressed and you got here. And as uh, Rihanna was saying, we really believe that it is better when you're here. And so we are kicking off a new series entitled, You Are Here. Turn to the person next to you and say, you are here. Perfect. Okay. You're, you're already like totally into it. Okay. What this series is about is about starting where you are. Okay in order to begin a journey with a closer relationship to God, okay? To start exactly where you're at. Because I think a lot of us, maybe growing up or um, just by intuition, we kind of feel like God will love us more the closer we get to Him. And so we think a little bit that we need to work in order to get to a place that feels safe enough for God to meet us. That is not true. He wants to meet you exactly where you are. I don't know if you've ever been to the mall. I'm sure you have. But when you walk through the, into the mall, there's this big board that says directory. And it tells you where everything is. Uh, JCPenney, Macy's. I only go to the mall for two reasons. Uh, Cinnabon and Wetzel's. Those are my two my two things. As a matter of fact, if you um, uh, love your pastor, a gift card to Wetzel's, I'll be 700 pounds, but I will take it. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Uh, but yeah, Cinnabon and Wetzel's. Now here's the thing. If I go to the mall and I walk in and I say, oh, I'd like to go to Cinnabon. And they say, oh, it's in the upper left-hand corner of the map. It's great to know where Cinnabon is. It's great to know where Wetzel's is, okay? But if I don't know where I'm at... I can't get there. In other words, in most of the areas of our lives that are important, we have to take an assessment of where you're at. So I was going to entitle this thing called um, Where You At, but I'm middle-aged and white, and I just can't pull it off, okay? So it's You Are Here. <laughs> Dumpy guy, you are here. I just couldn't pull off Where You At, okay? So... Uh, but, but that's the thing. You've got to know. So uh, it could be scary sometimes, right? Let's say you, you go, okay, I'm going to start taking care of my health, okay? And so you go to the doctor. Before you can get your health 
in shape, or you in shape, you got to know where you're at. They're going to take your blood pressure. They're going to do a blood test and see how much cholesterol you have. They're going to weigh you, okay? And all that information allows them to be able to assess, okay, this is where you're at. It's great you want to get to here, but because of where you're at, these are the next steps you have to take. So if you are farther away, you're probably not going to start off running a marathon. <laughs> if you're closer, then I'm sure the doctor will have something for you. Sometimes it takes this with your finances, right? You decide, maybe you're starting to get a little bit older, and you decide, I'd like to retire someday. That would be nice. And you go to your financial consultant, and guess what? He's going to tell you. He's going to tell you exactly where you're at. Because depending on where you're at, is he's going to have a different solution for you to get to where you need to be, okay? Um, I remember one time, back before I was a pastor, and uh, I, um, I started this business, and uh, it was a, I, apparently the business was just to accumulate debt, which is a terrible business model, by the way. Uh, no, I really wanted to make money, but I didn't, and so I just had this debt. And so I got to the place, and you've probably never been here before, where like when I saw the visa bill, I would just get this knot in my stomach, and I just wouldn't open it. There was no need to open it. I knew the number was bad, okay? I didn't need them to tell me. And so I just had like an automatic minimum being in there, but I never knew like how much was really on that thing for a period of time because I, I was stuck and I just couldn't do it. Well, to get out of that, which we did, I had to realize, okay, open it up, look at it. And it was funny because on my ambulance ride, um, uh, I would talk to it. Okay, no. But you, know, you have to take a look at it and go, okay, this is where we're at. Okay? Now, how much more is it important if we want to get someplace with God, if we want to get someplace in our lives, and maybe that in, in, has to do with our relationships and finances and all those kind of things, how, how much more is it important to have God tell us where we're at with Him? How much more is it better to know, okay, what have I been pursuing? Which gods, or the Bible talks about idols, have I been kind of veering off the road for? Well, what we're going to do is we're going to look at, this is so unorthodox, um, for Easter, we're going to look at the text of Palm Sunday. <laughs> I'll, I'll explain why in a little bit. We're we were supposed to go over that text last week, but what I wanted to do was see where Jesus was at because Easter, we're celebrating what he made it to. See, Jesus made it. Jesus actually did rise from the dead. He did become our sacrifice. He did provide the way for us to have a personal relationship with our Heavenly Father. And so what I want to do is I want to go back to where Jesus was at a certain place in time and see what must have been going through his mind when he realized what he needed to do to make this happen. Because I believe that as we analyze our lives and we, we find out where we're at, we are going to be faced with some choices that might be difficult. And so I thought it would be a good idea to see how Jesus handled those decisions. So I hope that makes sense. All right, so we're in John chapter 12. And we're starting in verse 15. I just want to set up what's going on. It's the Passover. Now, 
In Jerusalem, there was usually about 50,000 residents about at this time. About 50,000 people who were in Jerusalem. During the Passover, it would go to 100 to sometimes 120,000 people. So if you lived in Jerusalem, you're like, oh, it's the Passover. Do not take the freeway. It's going to be terrible, you know. It's like you knew that it, you, all of a sudden all, everything was just going to be packed, Okay. And so you had that, 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 that air of excitement because it's a religious festival and it's very tied to their history. And so there's a lot of nationalistic um, rhetoric that's going on. And so that just builds a lot of tension and excitement and energy, if you will. At the same time, the Roman Empire had taken over Israel. And so they were an occupied country. And so that started to add some tension to it as well. And so you can imagine when they knew, when the Roman, um, Romans knew that they were going to have Passover in Jerusalem at the temple with all this nationalistic type of rhetoric, they were going to amp up the guards. So you've got 120,000 people all trying to do the Passover thing. You've got this occupation that's going on. And then you've got increased kind of tension with the military that that's there then for about the last three years there's been this other energy this other tension this other thing going on uh, with a guy named Jesus and he was beginning to draw large crowds to himself because he was doing these amazing things he was healing He was raising people from the dead he was feeding the 5,000 there was all sorts of kind of miracles that he was doing And just a little bit ago, before what we read here, he raised somebody from the dead. He raised Lazarus from the dead. And there was a crowd there, and they began to talk about it. The tomb was all sealed up, and Lazarus had been in there for three days, and Jesus said, roll away the stone. And he says, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus comes forth, and like a little mummy thing, because they said, the reason I know that, okay, you know what, you guys don't believe me. The reason I know that is because right when he came forth, they said, unwrap him, okay? So he had to either inform his way out. I don't know how he did it, or someone called him, but I don't know. And so he does this, and everyone sees it, and so there's great crowds. And so this is what's what's happening. And so uh, what begins to happen is um, this starts to make the Pharisees nervous, and they have really good reason to be nervous, because there was another quote-unquote Messiah that came in that rallied all the, tr- all the crowds. And they tried to overthrow Rome, which is frowned upon by the Romans, by the way. And so what they did, what the Romans did, was they crucified Pharisees on the roads leading into Jerusalem. So when you came into Jerusalem, there would be a Pharisee on a cross. So that Rome would show, you want to try it again? This is what's going to happen to you. And so the Pharisees, this was fresh in their minds, and so they were, they were pretty amped up. The other thing that was happening during this time is that um, Jesus was coming into Jerusalem. So imagine, you can picture all the crowds around Jesus coming in here, and they're, they're waving palm branches. And to you and I, we think, oh, that's nice. They're waving a palm branch, and, you know, they're fanning Jesus as he comes in, or they're putting him down. Well, the palm branches meant something to those people. As a matter of fact, in the last uprising, what they would do is they'd take the Roman coin, and they'd stamp their own stamp on it, two palm branches crossed, to show, no, we're in control. So this is very tense. And (laughs) they're screaming, Hosanna, which means save us now. Okay, so this is what's going on. So Jesus is about to enter the city. 
He knows he's the king, but not in the same way that the people around him think of a king, because here's how he comes in. He says, do not be afraid, daughter, uh, do not, I need my glasses. Necesito mis lentes. I don't know where they are. Okay. Oh, well. You know what I'll do? How, how about I read like this the whole time? Oh, thank you very much. Oh, Easter bunny. <laughs> I like that. Okay. Oh, that's my wife, by the way, for those of you who are new. Okay. Just like, wow, I love this church. Okay. Oh, it's clear. Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. This is incredible because Jesus is supposed to be coming in on a war horse. But see, what we're going to see and what we're going to see in the next six weeks, and I, I hope you stay with us for the next six weeks as we talk about how to get from where we are to where God wants us to be. What we're going to see is that Jesus doesn't do things the same way we do. And sometimes, by golly, it's frustrating <laughs> because I want him to just do it the way I want to do it. But we'll see in a minute. If you want to get from where you are to where God wants you to be, you're going to have to do it Jesus' way. And so he shows up on this, not on a war horse, but on a donkey, and not even a donkey, the colt of a donkey. And so you can imagine the Romans going, okay, you know, is he coming in? Yep, he's coming in through the front gate. You know, uh, okay, Roger, got it. They didn't have walkie-talkies back there, but you can kind of imagine. And so they're all worried. Okay, here comes Jesus. And here he comes. Like, it would be like, it'd be like if your dad was in like a biker gang. And you're telling your friends, hey, my dad's in a biker gang. And I'm like, oh, man, that's, that's really awesome. You know, you're in a biker gang. And like, yeah, here he comes now. And he's like on a big wheel. And he's like jamming, jamming. He's like, ooh, ooh. you know, he's got a little horn. He's like jamming around. You're like, what? Like, it doesn't matter how impressive that guy is, your dad is, on a big wheel? This is exactly the feeling. Why? Like, you, you're waving palm branches going, we couldn't have gotten him a horse or something? Like, how? What is this? But see, Jesus' way is different. He's going to work through our issues in a different way than what we would do. And so this is how he shows up. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Well, of course not. They don't, they don't know why, why he would be doing this. Only after Jesus was glorified, what we're celebrating this morning, did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he had called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So here he is, big guy on a tiny donkey, okay? And all these people around. And so the tension is building, and the Pharisees say this. They said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. And in a sense, this is Jesus' calling that the whole world would go after him, but not in the way that you would expect. And so there he is. As a matter of fact, we read from another text in the Gospels that Caiaphas, the high priest, was part of this, uh, this group of Pharisees. And that his, the high priest, his family, had run that for generations, and they were very, very wealthy and very, very powerful. And it was at this point that Caiaphas says, you know what? I think it would be better if he died 
then everyone else die. And so he began to plot this plot to kill Jesus. And in doing so, essentially gave a prophetic word that it would be better for one man to die than for us to die, to take our place. And so they're talking about this, that the whole world has gone after him. And it's almost like John, as he's writing this, gives an example of what, what he's talking about, about the whole world. Now, there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request, Sir, we would like to see Jesus. And so Philip went to tell Andrew, and Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. So, the scene is set. There's a lot of energy going on in the city. There's a lot of tension. There's a lot of mystery around Jesus. He's very popular. The crowds are getting antsy. The Pharisees are getting antsy because they're afraid, man, the riot could start at any time. If, you, if something goes on, if, a, if a, um, a, a Roman guard makes the wrong move, it could just, it's just tense. To which Jesus says this, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. It's time. Man, you can just imagine what that would feel like if you're a disciple. Like, would you just like grab your sword and be like, okay, Jesus, I'm ready. You know, I don't know what you do. That sense of just like, wow, the hour has come. But see, here's the thing about Jesus. It's never like it is when it comes to us. See, Jesus was about a whole different kingdom than what we think about when we think of a kingdom. We don't use kingdom language very much nowadays, but the Bible's riddled with it. And basically, the Bible talks about two different kingdoms. One is a spirit kingdom that is ruled by God, that is important, that is kind of, it's almost like the matrix. That's like the real kingdom. And then we have our kingdom, the kingdom of the world. And there's oftentimes competing things that go against each other. And so, for example, one of the really important things of the kingdom of this world is our individualism. The fact that we should get what we want and that we have certain rights and uh, this isn't fair and that isn't fair and I, I'm going I'm to give my opinion on everything and I'm going to send out a tweet and I'm going to give that one star and I'll show them and there's this just sense of like, just like me, I'm the most important thing. Jesus would come and say, oh, that's, not, that's the wrong kingdom. It's, it's about serving others. As a matter of fact, later on, on uh, what, later on, Jesus is up in this upper room actually celebrating the Passover. And he, as the king, as the rabbi, as the leader, wraps a towel around his waist and begins to wash the disciples' feet. He's like, this is the kind of kingdom I'm talking about. And he says to him, you see what I've done for you? He said, go, this is what you need to do. Go and do likewise. He would say, he would say, don't, the first, they're going to be last. The last, be last. And you should be first. These are called kingdom principles, okay? Jesus is about ready to give one. Probably the most important one. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. To which the disciples went, what? <laughs> Wait, do I need my sword? What, what are you doing? Now we're talking about gardening? Like, what, what is going on? He sounds like Yoda, you know? <laughs> many seeds you will have. Uh, and so he, he, he's talking like this kind of language. And so they're thinking to themselves, is he talking about his death? Because he'd already started this 
kind of language with them. What does he mean? Well, here's the kingdom principle that we're going to see in this very next verse that's going to apply to us as we begin to step forward from where we currently are to where God would have us be. Maybe in our finances, maybe with some relationships, maybe with our past. And you might say to yourself, John, if you knew I answered your question of where I am, and if you knew where I was, you wouldn't allow me to walk through those doors. I absolutely guarantee, no matter where you are, you're welcome through those doors. And Jesus is here with open arms saying, hey, let's get going on this. And so uh, he says, unless a kernel of wheat dies. And so there's this language of death. And so we know already he's talking about himself right? We know already he's saying that, listen, I'm going to have to die in order for it to have the impact that I need it to have. Because the impact that he needed it to have was, goes back to another verse in John that says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. This is Jesus's end goal. Jesus' end goal for you and for me is that you would have eternal life. Now, when you think about that, you might think of heaven. And, and that's, that's great. That's a, that's a part of it. Heaven is important, okay? You definitely would like to be there. But see, if we miss out on today, if we miss out on dropping my anxiety, dropping my fear, dropping my bitterness... If we miss out on the peace of Christ that surpasses all comprehension, well then, okay, we end up in heaven. But we end up in heaven with a God we've never really known here on earth. And so Jesus is, is, is talking about this kind of language for himself, that look, I have to die in order for them to live. But then he makes this next statement that is just a kingdom principle for you as you move forward. And as we move forward in these next six weeks, he says Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Jesus is talking about the idea that discipleship, to follow Jesus, is going to be a series of sometimes difficult decisions of death for yourself. That doesn't sound too appealing. But if you think about it, almost everything important in our life has this type of an exchange. And so if you decide, um, okay, well, I, I, I know where I am in my health because I went to the doctor and they said in order to lose blankety blank pounds, <laughs> that didn't come out right, in order to <laughs> lose so many pounds, <laughs> those blankety blank pounds, uh, and in order to lose so many pounds, you're going to have to do this. And so you know where you are, and you know where you need to go. And then you go to Living Spring, and there's the donut cart outside. Okay, right? And you're like, well, they do have jars to put money in. I'd be ashamed if I just put in money and didn't get a little tasty morsel. And then you say to yourself, nope, I know where I am. I know where I need to go. And so I need to sacrifice this particular decision. Okay? That's just health. We do the same thing in our relationships. Maybe, you know, I'll counsel couples. And the thing I want to know from the very beginning is where are you? Where are you starting from? 
What are the root issues that are driving you guys apart? Or what, what is it? Is it just one thing? Is it five things? Whatever. Because until we know where you're at, we can't get to where you want to go. And so we find out where you're at. And so we, we, we come up with this great plan. Okay, don't scream at each other. How about that? Okay, we'll start with that. And then... Things go and you start off on Monday and everything's going okay and then Tuesday that your spouse brings up that one thing that you know that he knows that makes you mad and so he should know that you don't know and they should know and then uh, it starts to go and then you go, nope, nope, I'm not going to say anything, right? You have just died to yourself in order to try to get the relationship with your spouse to a place where you know it should be. This could be your kids, it could be your boss, it could be anybody. And so, Jesus says this thing, anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. How much more, if we're willing to make these little deaths to ourselves for our weight and for our finances, and for different things, how much more for our soul to be able to be invited into this relationship with God that is so rich where eternity essentially begins now and that the things that used to hold us up, the anger issues, maybe the anxiety, all these things begin to drop away and we go, man, the things that used to make me so angry are now being healed because of my relationship with Jesus. He says, anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Now watch what he says. Whoever serves me must follow me. Now this is such encouraging news because Jesus doesn't say, I'm here, you're there, and so you come over here. He, he says, you're there, I'm there, and I'm gonna lead you here. You see the difference? I have this dog. His name's Atticus, and he doesn't do anything I say. Uh, I, I, I tried, I've tried to train him. I've watched um, Caesar Milan. I've like, watched like Caesar 911 like 30 times, and he can like make dogs do anything. My dog can't do anything. And so um, one of the things my dog does is if you leave the door open, uh, he just bolts out, you know? And if I say, Atticus, come, in his tiny walnut-sized dog brain, it gets confused to... Atticus, run, okay? <laughs> so I say, Atticus, come, and he's just like, no problem, and off he goes, okay? And so, uh, so then I do all these kind of tricks where I'll go in, and I'll get some beef jerky, and I'll like, you know, make the sound like I'm opening beef jerky, and then I'll trick him, and then he'll get, come to me, and I'll be like, you're not getting any beef jerky, get in the house. And so, uh, or, I'll, or I'll open the front, I'll open the car door, and I'll be like, yeah, there you go, and he goes in there, and I'm like, Dummy, and then I go in and I grab him and I take him inside. But what I've noticed with Atticus is that it works much better if I just go, hey, this way, this way. And he's like, what? This way. And he gets confused because I'm like, I'm like not telling him to come. I'm just like this way. We're going this way. And, and I started thinking about this is, this is more of a picture of Jesus. Not that I'm, well, okay. Uh, <laughs> this is more of a picture of Jesus. See, Jesus doesn't just sit there at a certain place on his throne and go, come, come, come here. You're way too, I swear, if you get hit by a car, it's your fault, you know, right? Jesus is right there with you. Wherever you are in this journey, 
going, no, 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 this way. Let's go this way. And see, this language is about whoever serves me, but just follow me. That's, there's one step at a time. It's not this whole thing of you got to have it all figured out. For some of you, this, this, because it's Easter, you might not even be- believe in God. And your first step this morning is just like, you know what? I, I'm, be- I'm beginning to think that there might be a God. That's just the Holy Spirit going this way. Come on, we're, no, let's, let's just go this way. And you're beginning to go, okay. You know, that was a safe step. All, all right. And so it's a different model than Jesus being just right there, perfect, and then until you measure up, he's not going to reach out. He's, he's with you. He's got you, no matter where you are in the journey. And so he says, whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will be, also will be. And then he says this great line, my father will honor the one who serves me. And this, this doesn't mean that as you follow Christ, that you now get honor. It's that this, this Greek word is about you're already owned by him, and now he's saying this is how you're supposed to be living. You see the difference? And so that's what he's saying. He's saying, my heavenly father says, man, oh, you're so valuable. Just follow Jesus step by step. I know you're in the spot you're in now, but we're going to just keep moving and moving and moving. The Bible says it this way, working out your salvation with fear and trembling. Just like, man, are you sure, Jesus? Are you sure it's this way? <laughs> this way. Okay. You take a step. Now, what does that look like as we take these steps to follow Jesus? Well, a lot of times it'll be something very difficult. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to tell you that Jesus holds your hand and he gives you a bouquet of flowers and you skip along the path and everything's fine. There are going to be places in this journey where you're going to have to make some really hard decisions. And this is why I I wanted to go back to this particular place where Jesus was. Because Jesus now says, my hour's come. This is it. I got to make a decision. And here's what he says. You can see the tension in what what he's trying to do. He says, now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? Whew, man, can you imagine? This is Jesus understanding the full weight of what he needs to go through before it happens. And now he's just wrestling with this turmoil. It's almost like his heavenly father saying this way. And he's like, really? We gotta go through this? He's like, what am I supposed to, what am I supposed to say now? Save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason I came to this hour. Glorify your name. For some of you this morning, it is for this very hour that you are here. This very moment of being able to have the possibility of beginning this relationship with your Heavenly Father. And you might already know what it's going to cost you to make that decision. To say, you know what? I know I'm here. This isn't where I want to be. I want to be over there. I can only take one step at a time. And Jesus says, here's your first step. And you go, ooh, can we wait till next week? (laughs) Do we have to go that way? I thought when I was following you, it was a slide. That looks like a mountain. That looks a lot harder. And Jesus says this way. Because he did it himself. My soul is troubled. 
What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then this is just incredible. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. I have no idea what that sounded like, but that would have been awesome. If Jesus is just looks like he's talking to himself like a homeless person, right? And then all of a sudden you hear, I have glorified it. You know, like, <clears throat> I'm not, I don't do a good God. You know, I'm more like, I have glorified it. I have glorified it again. Okay. Right. So just think of a God voice. Okay. Right. And here's how we know it was deep, by the way. It says the crowd that was there heard it and said it had thundered. Okay. So th- that's what it was. And others said an angel had spoken to him. But here's the encouraging part of that. God's, uh, God, the heavenly father, says to Jesus, I have already glorified it. In other words, your life, Jesus' life, as, as it had already played out, was glorifying God, which means that as you begin to take these steps of faith, as you begin to follow Jesus, going this way, this way, you are glorifying your heavenly Father. How amazing is that? That your life and my life can actually have an impact on God. That he could be pleased. That he could bring honor to that. That he could place it up on his shelf and go, yeah, this is, see the work that's happening right there? This is good stuff. And then Jesus goes to the people there. Um, you know, essentially, uh, yeah, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. <laughs> I hear that all the time. So I don't, you know, everybody calm down, okay? I heard it too, right? He says, now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show what kind of death he was going to die. Do you know who all people are? (laughs) All. That... The reason Jesus was able to make this decision, to follow through, to say, okay, this is where I'm at. This is where you want me to be. I'm moving in that direction. Should I say, save me from this? No, I'm going for it. It's because he loves you that much. He understood the enormity of being that sacrificial lamb. This whole time, this whole Passover time is to commemorate the Passover lamb that was sacrificed before the uh, Israelites came out of Egypt. And now Jesus becomes that one lamb who takes away the sins of all the world as we follow him, as we take these steps. As Adjua comes back up, To have this resurrection power, to have this freedom, this life, this true life in Christ, it's going to take the ability to die to some of our decisions. Die to our pride, die to our past, die to some habits. It's going to cost that. And um, Adjua in just a little bit is going to uh, read a poem that she wrote while I was speaking, and, um, and she's going to lead us in a song. And during that time, um, uh, if you are giving this morning, uh, you would prepare your offering at that time. And um, we were really serious about those connection cards, so if you want to fill one of those out for your family and every household and 
Uh, and then if you have a prayer request, to put it on there. And at the end of the service, we take all of that, the offering and those cards, and we place them in a box in the back. But before that, I would be amiss if I didn't give you the opportunity to say yes to Jesus. I didn't give you the opportunity to say, okay, you know what? I'm, I know where I am. I know that it's not where God wants me to be, but I want to take a step. And this happens in a whole bunch of different ways. For some of you, it might be that for the first time in your life, you accept this free gift of Jesus. You say, you know what, Lord? I, I've been living my own life. I, I, it's not working for me. I've done things I'm not, I'm, that I'm ashamed of, and I want you to wipe it clean because of what you've done on the cross. And through your death and burial and resurrection, I want to be free. Maybe you've never prayed that prayer before in your life, and today, this is your hour. This is your time. For some of you, you might have already prayed that. Maybe in high school, you were gung-ho. You, went, you were doing great. You went to camp, and you, everything was awesome. And then you went to college, and your English professor proved to you that there's no God or whatever, and you, your frat proved to you some other things, and you just kind of started on, on a way. And you're like, man, this, this isn't... I want to get back to where it was when I was walking with Jesus. Maybe for you, this is your hour for that. For some of you, maybe it's you've been walking with Jesus and he's been saying this way, this way, and you're like, you're breaking up. <laughs> I can't hear you. And at this point, you're just like, yeah, you know what? I'm, I'm just going to start following. So what I want to do is I want to give us this opportunity to be able to do that. And so um, uh, we can just all just bow our heads and close our eyes. And I would just ask that if, if you're in a place right now in life where you know you're not where you're supposed to be and you want to make it right with Jesus, that you would just raise your hand and look up at me. I want to pray for you. As all these other eyes. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Great. It takes a lot of courage. Thank you up in the balcony as well. Thank you. Thank you. Good. Anybody else? I want to make sure. Thanks. Thanks. Awesome. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, we're all on this journey. Some closer to you, quote unquote, some farther away from you, quote unquote, but you're right next to us. <laughs> I mean, you're right here. You're right where in our muck, in our brokenness, saying this way. Lord, we want to hear that voice. And for those of us who've raised our hands and um, have made this decision and want to move forward, Lord, I pray for courage. I pray for boldness. I pray for wisdom. And so we thank you for that. I thank you for their courage. I pray, Lord, as they step into tomorrow and they start to hear your voice this way, that you would be able to just give them just a little bit more courage to take that step. We thank you for that in Jesus' name, amen. What I wanted to do, sorry, Audrey, just one second. Um, when I was growing up, um, I was told to pray a prayer of salvation. And so, uh, and that's basically a prayer of forgiveness. And so I did that 18 times. <laughs> like, like every time I felt away from God, I, 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 so I don't, I don't really know when it was the time that took 
But I've come to realize this. I, I don't think this certain time mattered. I think any time, whether you've been a believer for 40 years or you're just starting out, this prayer that I want to lead us all in, if you want to pray it, if you believe it, then you pray it. You say, it has nothing to do with, oh, well, this is the one. This is just a prayer that should be on our lips daily. And so I'm just going to pray it, and if anyone who wants to join me can just repeat after me, Dear Jesus, thank you for dying for my sins. Forgive me for my past. I want to walk with you for the rest of my life with you as king. In your name, amen. He hears you, and he's already done all the work. 